Now, as Pastor Rodney mentioned, super excited. Today, we're starting a brand new series called DNA. Uh, and I don't know a whole lot about DNA. I'm not a scientist, not a biologist, but here's what I do know. That DNA basically functions as the blueprint for who we are, right? And so the idea is there's this thing inside of me that I can't see and you can't see, but that thing determines everything from how tall I would be to my hair color, to my eye color, to how big my nose is and how, how my ears poke out a little bit, whatever. It, is, it determines almost everything about me, and it's really the, kind of this incredible fact. And the truth of the matter is, even as followers of Jesus, we have kind of a spiritual DNA, as it were, that should manifest itself outwardly, visibly, in how we live our lives. And what we do. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about our mission as a church, our vision, and our four core values. Now, if you've been around New Life for many years, this may be a reminder to some of you, uh, for some of you, for others of you, this will be brand new stuff. But when we talk about our core values, in essence, what we're doing is we're trying to go back to the fundamentals of our faith. And guys, can, can we just be honest for a minute here? Can we just admit that the last two years have been kind of distracting, right? As a culture, as a church, as believers, as followers of Jesus, can we just be honest and say, the last two years have been really distracting, right? With a very contentious presidential election and a global pandemic and debates about masks and vaccines and sprinkle in a little more political drama. Man, the last couple of years, it's been really easy as Christians to take our eyes off the main thing. And so what I want to do for the next four weeks is I just want to collectively, as a faith family, try to recalibrate our focus and our attention on what Jesus has called us to be about as his people because we are quick to forget, aren't we, church? Just as a people, as human beings, we are quick to forget. This is definitely true in my own life. Cheryl and I have this, my wife and I have this reoccurring conversation that goes something like this. She'll ask me a question like, hey, uh, do you remember that time that we went and did this thing or we went to this place over here and experienced this other thing? And then she'll go on to the, kind of describe in elaborate detail something we did or somewhere we went and she'll talk about who we were with and what we did and how hot it was or cold it was or what we were wearing on that day or what we did. And God, I'm just, I have no recollection of it at all, like zero. And, 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 I, I, and this happens like once a month. She'll bring something up I'm like, are you sure that wasn't with your like college boyfriend? She's like, no, we had kids. You know, what are you talking? And, and so we have these kind of experience. Now, I don't know, like, is that just a dude thing? Or I just had one too many concussions playing sports in high school. I don't know what it is. But like all the time, zero recollection of certain things that we've done or places that we've been. And I think when that happens, that's a little bit frustrating for her because it's like we've, we've had this shared experience and we've created these shared memories together. And it's just poof, it's gone. It's like she did it alone. And I think sometimes that's kind of what our relationship with the Lord is like, right? We, we come here on Sunday morning and we get this great truth or we go to a Bible study or a small group or youth camp or a mission trip or whatever it is. And God teaches us like some incredible truth and we leave that place or that event and we're like, man, we will never be the same. I'm going to go home. I'm going to apply this to my marriage or to my parenting or I'm going to finally share my faith with my neighbors or my coworkers, or my friends. I'll, I will never be the same after this. And a week later, it's like we've forgotten the whole thing, Right? You've, I'm sure you've had that experience, right? I'm not the only one that's had that experience. 
right? And it's almost like we, we as believers, as followers of Jesus, we can develop spiritual amnesia. And I, I don't want us to be a church that has spiritual amnesia. We're constantly forgetting what God has called us to. We're being sidetracked with all these secondary things. There's a, a coach, a very famous coach named Vince Lombardi, coached the Packers back in the day. One of the most decorated sports coaches of all time. And uh, in 1961, they had a, a heartbreaking loss in uh, the 1961 Super Bowl. They blew a late lead. They lost the Super Bowl to the Eagles. And so they, they opened up fall camp the next year. And all the players wanted to, to work on all these like high-minded, like new schemes and trick plays. And man, they just wanted to kind of fine-tune what they were already doing so that they could go to the next level. But Coach Lombardi had a different idea. And famously, he held up a football in his right hand. He said, gentlemen, this is a football, right? And every camp after that in his coaching career, he opened with that phrase, gentlemen, this is a football. Now, he's talking to professional football players. This is what they do for a living. And the story goes, some of the players kind of snickered a little bit, and they're like, hey, coach, slow down. You're going too fast for us, man. We can't keep up. And, but he didn't care. He kept on going. And so what he was obsessed with, what Vince Lombardi was obsessed with, was the fundamentals of the game. Gentlemen, this is a football. And that very next year, they went on to win the Super Bowl, 37 to nothing. They crushed the Giants. He... He never lost another game in the playoffs. They went on to win five out of seven Super Bowls, and they never had a losing season. And it wasn't because he got creative or he invented all these new ways to do the sport. He was obsessed with the fundamentals of the game. And I think that serves as a great example for the church today, right? Because we can become so distracted with cultural things around us or even good activities, right? Trunk or treats at church or Bible studies or youth camps or mission trips, like good stuff. But if we forget the fundamentals of our faith, we're gonna eventually begin to fail everywhere else, especially in the areas that are most important. And so if you have a Bible this morning, let me encourage you to go to Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter four. You open, go ahead and open it up or go to your device. Matthew chapter 4, and today I want to talk to you about one of our four core values here at New Life, and it's multiplying disciples. That's one of our four core values here, multiplying disciples. Now, fascinating, Jesus kind of steps onto the scene early in Matthew. He closes the book of Matthew uh, both times with a very clear and direct call to become disciples that make disciples. And so if you're wondering what the big idea of the message is this morning, that's it. Jesus has called us to become disciples who make disciples. That's the big idea. This is an indispensable part of our DNA, um, at, really for every follower of Jesus. And at New Life, we want, listen, we want to be relentless about multiplication in all that we do because health, healthy things grow. Healthy things multiply. We want to be all about that, even among um, our leadership. You, sh you should know, every staff meeting, when we meet Monday afternoons at 1 o'clock, one question we ask in every staff meeting is, who are you chasing? In other words, who, who are you investing in? Who are you discipling? Who do you have in your life that you're inviting along the journey of following Jesus with you? Our elder team has a nine-month leadership track or leadership intensive that we do every year now. We're like We're trying to multiply leaders within our body. The community group that Cheryl and I are in, we just, we just planted another community group two months ago. That community group is already almost full. They're gonna be planting another community group in just a few months, right? This last week in staff meeting, we had the pastors from 
um, from one of our church plant partnerships, Hendersonville Church, right down the road. And we had them in on their one-year anniversary just to kind of give us a report of what God is doing. It's amazing how they've grown. They're seeing new people come to Christ and all these baptisms, right? We're, we're plant, helping plant a church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We got a couple other plants that we want to get off the ground in 2022. You need to understand, if you're at New Life, we believe in multiplication, we want to reproduce. We want to multiply. But you also have to understand, it starts with you and me. It starts at the individual level with us. And so let's dive into Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. That's what Matthew the writer says. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, that is Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and drew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, now this is really crucial, and so if you, if you underline in your Bible or highlight on your app, this, this is a good sentence to highlight or underline. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now immediately they left their nets, and they followed him, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, the father, mending the nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So the very first thing right out of the gate that I want to give you this morning is our definition at New Life of a disciple. There's probably 10,000 different you know, definitions of what a disciple is. This is the one that we like because it comes straight from the mouth of Jesus, it comes right out of Matthew chapter 4. And what we see in this definition is three elements of what a disciple is, of what a disciple of Jesus is. And so if you go back and you look at that passage, the first thing Jesus says is, follow me. Follow me, right? That's the first mark of someone who's a disciple of Jesus, someone who follows Christ. We've said this before here, man, it is completely possible to profess Jesus without possessing Jesus, right? Especially if you grew up in a Bible Belt culture, kind of the deep south where everybody prayed a prayer at VBS or at the county fair, whatever it is. Listen, guys, intellectual knowledge is not the same thing as a relationship with the creator, Authentic discipleship is following Jesus, right? We don't just claim to be Christians one day and then live our lives like practical atheists. We follow him in our value system that's reflected in how we do marriage and how we do parenting and how we manage our finances and how we invest our time and our talent. Disciples follow Jesus. It's not just lip service. What we see him value, we value in our lives. What we see him do in the New Testament, we begin to emulate and do in our lives as well. And so that's the first part of the definition. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Follows, not just lip service, not just intellectual ascent, someone who follows Jesus. Here's the second mark of a disciple. Notice what Jesus says. He makes him this really interesting promise. He says, hey, listen, I want you to follow me. And the second thing he says is, I will make you. It's this idea of transformation. What he's saying is, listen, guys, I'm going to take who you are now, and I'm going to begin to transform you and change you into something new. You're going to become new creations, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. A new creation in Christ. So, someone that has new desires and a new purpose in life and a new vision for their life. Jesus changes us, right? That's the second element of being a disciple of Jesus, someone who is being changed by Jesus, right? So someone who follows Jesus, part one, someone who's being changed by Jesus, part number two of the definition. Here's the third and final part of that definition. Jesus says, listen, I want you to follow me. I'm gonna make you what? 
fishers of men. So Jesus looks at these guys. He says, hey, hey, listen, boys, I, I know that you've been commercial fishermen all your life, but I'm gonna give you a new heart and I'm gonna give you new passion and I'm gonna give you a new ability and you're gonna begin to fish for people. In other words, you're gonna begin to make disciples. You're gonna multiply. And that's the third element of a disciple of Jesus is someone who is living on mission with Jesus, right? So let's just kind of coalesce. Let's nutshell all of that. The definition of a disciple at New Life is really simple. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, number one, is being changed by Jesus, number two, and number three, living on mission with Jesus. And so here's the first truth. And if you're a note taker, write this down. Jesus expects this of us as his followers. He expects it of me, expects it of you. Here it is. Number one, pursue becoming an authentic disciple. An authentic disciple. Now understand, this is not a destination that we ever reach on this side of heaven. This is not a box we check or it's like, hey man, if I do these 10 things for 10 years, check, I'm a disciple, I'm mature. Now this is a lifelong process of genuinely pursuing Christ and becoming slowly over time, over the months, years and decades, more and more like him. It's learning how to abide in him, John chapter 15. I like the way that uh, the, the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 12. This will be on the screens for you. This is what he writes. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your, your bodies, your, your whole lives, everything that you are, including your physical body, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship. Verse two, just as important as the first, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And what Paul is saying is, hey, listen, there's gonna be a value system in your world. There's gonna be a value system in your culture that is not the value system of the kingdom of Jesus. You need to be aware of that. And you, as a follower of Jesus, need to cling to the value system of the kingdom of Christ instead of the value system of this world or of your culture. So he says, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, followers of Jesus, Christians, ought to walk and talk and live and love like Jesus. And I would just say, y'all, listen, we, we've got to learn to walk as authentic disciples in this world. And you say, Chris, well, man, what, what, is that, what does that look like? Like, okay, that, that sounds good. I want to be that, but what does that look like practically? And this is going to sound so cliche, but I just think it's true. The answer to how to become an authentic disciple of Jesus is to get close to Jesus. It's to get close to Jesus. It's to spend time with him. It's to spend time with other people who also love him and are following him. It's, it's learning how to press into the spiritual disciplines. Listen, guys, habits drive behavior. Habits drive behavior. Behavior determines the course of your life. This is what Christians have done for 2,000 years. Simple spiritual disciplines. Things like, listen, guys, spending time in the word. So let, let me just ask you a question. Don't answer it out loud, but how often do you typically Spend time in the word with God. Now, I'm not talking about in church where we open up the word or Bible study. Where I'm talking about you alone with God during the week. When's the last time you did that? Is that something that's a regular pattern 
in your life? Or is that something that gets kind of pushed off to the back burner when things get busy? Are you spending time in the word? Another easy spiritual discipline, are you spending time in prayer? This is one of my struggles. Do you, do you carve out time to talk to God, right? He talks to us as we open his word and we read his word and we talk back to him, right, through, through prayer. This is how we have a relationship with God. How often do you pray? What about, what about investing in Christian community outside of just kind of gathering to worship for an hour on Sunday morning? Are you, are you in a group of godly men or godly women or a mixed group or a Bible study or a small group where people can challenge you and encourage you in your faith walk? Are you, are you doing things like engaging in God's mission in your life? Things like we just saw on the screen, serve Asheville, whatever. Are you using your spiritual gifts in the kingdom of God? Simple spiritual disciplines, but how many of us actually do those things on a regular basis. And I'm just telling you, if you begin to practice those simple spiritual disciplines, time in the word, time in prayer, time in community, engaging in Jesus' mission in our city and around the world, I promise you, on the authority of God's word, you will grow. You will slowly become an authentic disciple of Jesus. And so we open the, the book of Matthew where Jesus kind of inviting us in to become his disciples but there's another piece of that discipleship paradigm that is equally as important. And so I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28, the end of the book. Matthew chapter 28. This is what Matthew writes. Now the 11 disciples, they're 11 now, right? Because Judas has betrayed Jesus, so they went from 12 to 11. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I love the fact that Matthew puts that detail in there. Don't you? Aren't you grateful for that? Some doubted. So let me just encourage you, if you're here, if you're watching online and you're wrestling with some doubts, some questions about the faith, welcome to the club, right? That you're in good company. And the interesting thing, if you think about the disciples in their doubt, think about the story of, of Thomas that so many of us are familiar with, right? Where Thomas hears that the Lord has been resurrected bodily from the dead and he says, I will never believe. Thomas says, he, he doubts, right? I will, I will never believe unless I touch the scars in his hand. Unless I put my hand into the wound on his, on his rib cage. I will never believe. And it's fascinating when Jesus encounters Thomas, he doesn't rebuke him for his doubts. He doesn't cast him out and say, you know what, Thomas, I gave you three and a half years, bro, and you still don't believe? Get your butt out of here, man. You're out, man. I'm gonna recruit somebody else. You need to get out of here, man. I wasted three and a half years of my life. I'm not wasting no more time. No, he invites Thomas in. It's like, Thomas, come on over, man. Touch the scars in my hands. Put your hand in my side and believe that it's me, right? And Thomas falls down and worships my Lord and my God. And so just want you to know, man, if you've got doubts, that's okay. So did the disciples. Jesus is not gonna chastise you for your doubt. In fact, he invites you in. He invites you closer. Verse 18, he continues. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, let's, let's stop there just for a moment. A lot of times we skip over this passage, this verse, to get to the action command in verse 19. But here, here's what I want you to see this morning. Obeying what Jesus is about to tell us in the next verse is impossible without this promise. What he's about to tell us to do is impossible for us to do without this promise. And so, friend, let me just ask you a question this morning. Do, do you believe that Jesus has authority over all things? Do you believe that Jesus has authority over all things in heaven and all things on earth? 
and everything in your life and the circumstances that are going on around you, personally, culturally, whatever it is. I mean, all we have to do is we, we just open the Gospels, right? And his authority is displayed on just about every page of the Gospels. It's really fascinating to read the Gospels in light of this, in li- with the, kind of this lens as we look through it, right? Like, Jesus has authority over nature. We see in the Gospels, he speaks and the storms cease. He has authority over sickness and disease. He says the word and the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame are healed and they walk, right? He has authority over sin. He actually forgives people's sin. He has authority over the demons. He rebukes them and they must flee. He has authority even over death. He has authority over all things in heaven and on earth and in your life. And listen, believer, if you don't really believe that, you're really going to struggle with what he's about to ask us to do in verse 19. Because we absolutely need his power. And we need his authority to be who he's calling us to be and to do what he's calling us to do. So let's look at verse 19. You're probably familiar. If you've been in church, this is probably one of the more familiar passages to you. But I want, I want, I want to just kind of read this in a, in a fresh way this morning. Let's read this. He says to his disciples, Go therefore, in my authority, understanding that I have control over all things, I want you to go therefore and make disciples. I want you to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, what a sweet promise. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus, after the resurrection, before the ascension, before he goes to the right hand of the Father, he, he pulls his disciples in for one last huddle, and he says, hey, guys, I'm about to go to the Father, and when I go to the Father, this is what I want you to be about in life until my second return. Are you ready? This is what I want you to be about. I want you to be about making disciples. Multiplication. If you've been around a little while, you know that our mission statement at New Life is helping people find and follow Jesus. And that's just another way of saying, man, we want to be about multiplying disciples. Listen, to be a disciple is to make disciples. We cannot separate those two things. It's not like, man, I'm a disciple now because I trusted Jesus and maybe one day I'm gonna level up and become a super saint and then I'm gonna make disciples. No, no, no. From day one, we should be seeking other people that we can invite into the journey of seeking and following Jesus ourselves. From day one. Multiplication has been God's plan A from the very, very beginning. Think about Genesis 1 and 2. First command in the garden is what? Multiply and fill the earth. Jesus, after the resurrection, Go and make disciples. Multiply. And if multiplication is God's DNA, then as his people, how can that not be part of our DNA? And so that's the second truth on the screens for you this morning is disciples make disciples. So step number one in the discipleship paradigm is, man, we gotta pursue becoming an authentic disciple. Step number two is we gotta be disciples who make disciples. Step one, become a disciple. Step two, make new disciples. We become disciples who make disciples. That's who we are. That's our DNA. Now, here's what's fascinating about what Jesus just said in Matthew 28. There's, there's actually one imperative or one command in that passage, and it's make disciples. We typically think of the word go as the command, right? The, the imperative, the command is actually make disciples, and then there are three participles that kind of support that command to, to make disciples. And the three participles are go, baptize, and teach. And so if we just ask the question, Jesus Okay, we we get the point, right? We're supposed to be disciples. We're supposed to make disciples. But how do we make disciples? Well, Jesus tells us right there. He gives us 
uh, three very simple reasons or, or ways that we do that. And so I'm calling this the, the Jesus's disciple-making strategy. Here's number one. He says, you need to go. You want to make disciples, you got to go. You got to go to the people. You got, you got to go to the people. Now, now notice he didn't, he didn't call his disciples together and say, hey, boys, huddle up. Here, here's the deal. I, I'm going I'm to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you this power where you actually have, like, my spirit, the spirit of God living inside of you. And then here, here's what I want you to do. Here's, where, here's how we're going to change the world. I want you to huddle up for an hour on Sunday morning. That's how we're going to change the world. Hey guys, I, I want you to cut, cut. Here's what I want you to be out. Here's how we're going to change the world. I want you to start Bible studies. Women's Bible studies on Tuesday night, men's Bible studies on Thursday morning. He didn't say, hey, hey guys, cut, huddle up here. Here's what I want you to be about. Here's how we're going to change the world. I want you to get on social media and debate non believers. That's really going to change the world, guys. Or, or how about, man, 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 get on social media and make sure everybody knows your opinion about masks and vaccines. That's how we're going to change the world. Make sure everybody knows. No, none of that. He says, listen, I want you to go to the people. I want you to go to where they are. I want you to enmesh in the culture of your city and your nation. I want you to become salt and light in dark places. Now, now, now listen, church family, I want you to know, like, we, we want to create an invitational culture here. Like, we want to be invitational people. Constantly in our journey 101, our journey 201 classes, what we constantly hear from new people that are finding a spiritual home here is the vast majority of them were invited by you. They were invited by other new lifers. And so we want to, that's good, that's good, that's proper. I think that's God honoring. I hope that you're inviting people to come with you on Sunday morning. I hope that you're inviting people to come with you to small group. We want to invite people to come and see. But you need to understand that the model of discipleship that Jesus lays out is more go and tell than come and see. I recently heard a stat that went something like this. Don't, don't quote me on this. It might be a little off, but it was something like, 39 out of the 42 miracles in the book of Acts happened outside of the temple complex or the Sunday morning worship gathering. 39 out of the 42 miracles happened outside of kind of the spiritual gathering of God's people. Now, isn't that fascinating? It seems that God works when we, when we go out into our neighborhoods and schools and workplaces and the city around us with his authority, empowered by his spirit to be disciples in our culture, right where other people live, work, and play every day of their lives. And so my challenge for you today, church family, is, is to look at your sphere of influence. We talked about this last week. There's this Greek word called oikos. It's the idea of sphere of influence. We've all been given a oikos. So my challenge is for you to look at your sphere of influence, people you work with, people you live around, people you go to school with, your neighbors, whatever it is, and simply ask one question, who needs Jesus? And maybe for some of you, you just need to actually make a list of the people in your oikos, in your circle of influence that need Jesus. And then step number two is to begin to enmesh your life with theirs. And so listen, if you like going up uh, on the Blue Ridge, like my family likes to do, you like to go hiking, then listen, invite someone in your circle of influence to go with you. If you're having dinner, invite people to come over with you. If you're going to coffee, invite somebody to come on. And then intentionally just kind of interweave these gospel threads into those conversations, right? 
Just begin talking about what God is doing in your life. You don't have to be weird or uber spiritual about it, but just talk about what God is doing. Hey, my church, we just did this survival thing. We're feeding homeless people. We're doing disaster relief, all these sorts of things. Just kind of those gospel threads in those relationships. And I think what Jesus is saying to us is, man, we, we gotta start going to the people. We gotta go to the people. We gotta win, live winsome lives. We gotta open our mouths and let them know that Jesus is the reason why we're doing these things. And, and, and you gotta understand, man, you don't have to be a Bible scholar or a pastor to do this. Oftentimes, all we have to do is open up our eyes to see the opportunities around us, to trust in the power and authority that God has given us through his spirit and really just to begin to live with gospel intentionality. The cool thing about this is this is not another thing you have to add to your schedule. You just do this in the natural rhythms of your life. Let's, let's go to people. Let's share the good news. Let's proclaim the good news. Let's demonstrate the good news. That's part one. We gotta, we gotta go to the people. Here's part two of making disciples. Interestingly, Jesus says, as you make these disciples, I want you to baptize them. Now, we oftentimes get asked, particularly by uh, new people at New Life, hey, why? Why is baptism such a big deal here? There, there are several reasons I could give you. Let me just give you a couple. The, the first reason I would say that baptism is a big deal here is because it was a big deal to Jesus. You think about it. G Jesus, the sinless, perfect son of God, was baptized. Did he need to be baptized? No, why, why did he do it? He was, he was setting the standard for us, right? He was setting the example for us. Secondly, baptism is the primary symbol of new life in Jesus, right? This is how we publicly declare our allegiance to King Jesus. This is how we identify with him. This is how we identify with one another as a family of faith. It's sort of like this wedding ring, right? I don't know if you can see it, this wedding ring that I have on my finger right now. When Cheryl and I were married almost 18 years ago, we did what many of you who are married did. As part of our wedding ceremony, we did an exchange of rings, all right, now, you gotta understand, this ring on my finger is not my marriage. This ring does not make me Cheryl's husband. There's nothing legally binding, per se, about this ring. But this ring is a symbol that says to the world, I belong to Cheryl. And for what I paid for the rock that sits on her finger, it also better communicate that she belongs to me. <laughs> She's my wife, right? I had to sell a kidney in college to get it. Listen, that, that's what baptism is for the follower of Jesus. It's how we tell the world that we belong to him. It is a powerful symbol. And one of, if not the very first step of obedience as a disciple. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter six. He writes this, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism is a picture of the gospel to the world around us. And so as disciples, we are baptized, and then we baptize new disciples. One of, one of my favorite things that I love to do, I get to do as a pastor oftentimes, is to, is to baptize new believers. I, I love that. But here's what I love even more than me getting to baptize believers is watching you baptize people that you've led to Christ in your discipling. I love that when a mom or dad baptizes a son or daughter or a college roommate is up here and they're baptizing their roommate that they shared the gospel with or you're baptizing a neighbor or a co Man, I love that. And so we go, right? That's step number one of making disciples. We gotta go to the people. 
God didn't call us to huddle up in a holy huddle on Sunday morning and, and then kind of retreat during the week and make sure we don't get infected by the culture and then come back here on Sunday morning and have a little holy bubble again. No, he's called us to go into the culture to be salt and light. We've got to go to the people and then we baptize them when they say yes to Jesus. And when they say, yeah, I, I, I think I believe this stuff and I want to know your God and I want to follow your God, then then we baptize them. We don't put them through a 12-month discipleship program to make sure they understand all the doctrines of the church and the theology of the last 2,000 years. We, we baptize them, right? That's, that's the model of the New Testament. Step number one of being a disciple is you're baptized. So we go to the people, we baptize them when they say yes, and then number three, interestingly, Jesus says, I want you to teach them. I want you to teach them everything that I've taught you. Everything that you've watched me do in my life, in my, my ministry, and my teachings, I want you, to, want you to pass those things on to people that you're living life with. I want you to teach people how to love and follow Jesus. Now, understand this. I'm not talking about some kind of discipleship program, right? I'm not talking about a certain kind of curriculum. No, this, this, is, this is a very relational style of teaching. It's as much, I think, caught as it is taught. You think about how Jesus discipled, right? He didn't say, hey, listen, I want, I want you to kind of meet me at Starbucks at 6 a.m. We got this workbook. We're gonna go through for 12 weeks and boom, once we get done with that workbook, you're a disciple. No, man, he took these 12 guys and he lived with them year after year, meal after meal, right? It wasn't a program. It wasn't a curriculum. They lived life together. They laughed together. They traveled together. They did ministry together. And so as you think about your sphere of influence, just and you begin to ask that question, who needs Jesus? Let me just encourage you, start inviting some of those people into your life. You go hiking on the weekend, why, why go alone? Why, why just go with your family? Invite somebody to come with you. If you have a, like a family tradition and you, got, you guys go out to eat on Friday nights, why go alone? Invite somebody in your sphere of influence to come along with you, man. If you're, you're like a, the normal dude and you just like wander around Lowe's aimlessly for two hours and you know, kind of grunt and, and walk up and down the aisle, invite somebody to come along with you when you go walk around Lowe's. If you're gonna go fishing or play around to golf or go hunting, no, why go invite somebody to come with you and then teach them what Jesus has taught you? And again, you don't have to be a super weird spiritual freak about it. You just interweave normal gospel conversations in there. It's not a program, it's not a curriculum, this is all relational. So we, we go, we baptize, we teach, anyone can do this. And this idea of being disciples, who make disciples, I, you gotta understand this, guys. This is, this is a command from Jesus. Do you understand that? This is not a suggestion. This is not like, hey, once you get, get to a certain level of spiritual maturity, then I want you to start inviting people into your life so they can watch you and become disciples of Jesus. This is like from the word go. You believe in Jesus, you get baptized, you're making disciples. That's been the pattern of the church for 2,000 years up until the last 50 or 60 years in the Western world. It's just been understood that making disciples, reproducing disciples, this is part of the gig of following Jesus. It would have been unthinkable for most of church history for a Christian to become a Christian and live their whole lives without ever making a disciple. It would have been unthinkable, unimaginable. Like, think about this. Like, how silly would it be if I had this conversation as I often do with my three kids? And I called them in. I said, hey, guys, I just went upstairs and it looked like a nuclear bomb just went off in your rooms and in the loft. And, and so what I want you to do is I want you to go upstairs and I want you to clean everything up. I want you to clean your rooms. Now, just, just imagine if my kids went upstairs and they came back down an hour later and they're like, Dad, listen, you would be so proud of us. We went upstairs and we talked about what it would be like to have clean rooms. 
we talked about it, and we even wrote it down. Dad, you said, go clean your rooms. Dad, we even memorized it. Go clean your rooms. My next question would be, did you clean your room? <laughs> and if the answer is no, I'd be like, get your butt back upstairs and clean your room. Don't come back down here until your room is clean. Right? Now, we kind of do this same thing spiritually. We come here, we get fed on Sunday mornings, we go to small group, we go to Bible study, we listen to Christian podcasts, and we've got these fat heads and these empty hands spiritually. We're just constantly taking this information in, and we never do anything with it. It reminds me of this story that I, I saw online. You know it's true because I found it online. But there was this article that apparently came out in the 90s in a, in a magazine about this, this woman. Again, could be true who accompanies her husband to his yearly uh, doctor's checkup, right? And uh, in the checkup, uh, the, the doctor pulls the wife aside privately, and he said, hey, listen, uh, things aren't looking good with your husband. And, and so unless you do this list of things that I'm about to give you, um, he surely is, is gonna die. He'll be dead before his checkup next year. And so he said, Here, here's what I, what I need you to do. Every single morning, I need you to get up early and make sure he's got a hot, healthy breakfast, all right? First thing, and then I want to make sure that he comes home for lunch, and I want you to feed him a well-balanced meal for lunch. And then when he comes home from work, I want, to make, I want you to make sure that there's a hot, good meal for him every single night. And, and this is really important. Don't overburden him with house chores. And so I want you to keep the house spotless and clean so he's not exposed to any unnecessary germs. And this is probably the most important part. To improve his circulation, I really want you to give him a back and foot massage every single night. All right? And so he gets in the car with his wife and they're driving home and he looks over at his wife and he says, hey, what did the doctor say? And she looked back at him and replied, he said you're gonna die, right? <laughs> you got, you've got zero chance, right? You've you got an incurable disease. I'm sorry, bud. We're gonna go ahead and plan your funeral. See, she had a clear understanding of what she had to do, but without action, there was only death. Right. See, so here, here's the closing question for you. Then we're done and, and we'll sing a song. Christian, here's the question for you. Will you be a receiver or a reproducer? Because if all you do is receive information, right? You come here on Sunday mornings and you get information and you go to your community group and you get more information. You go to Bible study or you listen to your podcast. All you're doing is getting information. Are you really following Jesus? And the answer clearly is no. You can be a religious consumer and not an authentic disciple of Jesus. When you read the Bible, when you come to church, when you go to small group, are you asking the question, what's in this for me? Are you asking the question, man, how, how can I take this truth and teach my kids or teach my grandkids or invest this truth in my classmate or my roommate or my neighbor or my coworker? Are you going to be a receiver or are you going to be a reproducer? Are you going to be a spectator or are you going to be a gladiator? Are you going to be a disciple or are you going to be just simply a consumer? And listen, for some of you in the room this morning, for some of you watching online, I'm convinced your first step in the discipleship journey is to actually say yes to Jesus. Because I'm convinced that there's, there's some of you, no doubt in the room this size, with the, the audience that we have online, there's no doubt that there's some of you who are religious people, there's some of you who are churchgoers, there's some of you who know all the right answers, you've got 
fat theological heads, but you got empty hands, spiritually speaking. That's because you've never actually become an authentic disciple who's following Jesus with their lives. And if that's you, dear brother, dear sister, let me plead with you just for a moment. Let me beg you, say yes to Jesus. Just surrender your life. Stop fighting to try to control all the circumstances and details in your life. Surrender your life to Jesus. Say, yes, Jesus, I want to become an authentic disciple that makes disciples. I want, I want that in my life. I know that you're calling in my life. Would you do that in me? I want to open up my heart to you. I want to open up my mind to you. I want Jesus to put his Holy Spirit inside of me, and I want to begin to live this radically countercultural life that you've called us to. That's for some of you. For others of you, maybe you're more like me and you're in, you're on Team Jesus. But man, the last couple of years have been tough spiritually and you've drifted. And if you're being really honest, you would just have to admit, yeah, I've had spiritual amnesia. I've been so distracted with all these secondary things, none of which are gonna matter 10,000 years from now in eternity. I've been so distracted from the calling of Jesus all my life, to be an authentic disciple who's multiplying themselves and making other disciples. And for, for you, if that's you, like it is for me, for you, the call today really is just to kind of recalibrate and recommit your life to be a disciple that's inviting others along on your journey to get to know and follow Jesus as well. So whatever it is that you need to do, whatever that step of obedience is for you, let me just encourage you, whether you're saying yes to Jesus for the first time or whether you're recommitting your life and saying, man, I've had spiritual amnesia. I need to get my mind right. I need to get focused on being a disciple that makes disciples. Let me just encourage you, say yes to whatever it is he's calling you to do. Would you be obedient to what he's calling you to do today? Let's pray and then we're gonna sing. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We are grateful. God, that you call us to become authentic disciples, that you actually invite us into that mission. God, my confession this morning, and I think our collective confession this morning would have to be, we cannot do this in our own strength. We can't do this in our own flesh. We're, we're too selfish, we're too self-focused, we're too self-centered, God, but, but by your power, through your Holy Spirit living in us, we can become authentic disciples, God. And when we become that, would you help us to live a life of reproduction, of multiplication? God, help us look at those around us and ask the question, who needs Jesus this week? Who needs Jesus today that I know? Maybe a family member, maybe a coworker, maybe a, a neighbor, maybe a friend, maybe somebody I go to the gym with, maybe a, a roommate, whoever it is. Who needs Jesus, God? And then would you help us have the courage to invite them into our lives, to enmesh our lives with them, to invite them hiking, to invite them going out to eat, to invite whatever it is that we're doing, just the natural rhythms of our lives. Would you help us be intentional about inviting others in so that they also could taste and see of your goodness? and find abundant life that only exists through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his beautiful name that we ask and we pray these things. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's worship.